Happy Sunday morning to you, Prestonwood. How are you doing this morning? Are you filled with gratitude today? Are you filled with joy today? Are you filled with the goodness of God today? For those of you not from Texas, we're pranking you on the weather outside. I hope you're having a wonderful winter morning with us today, all right? Boy, it's good to be in the house of the Lord together. Don't you want to say one more time a thank you to our worship team and our choir for leading us today? What a powerful time of worship and what an incredible way for us to start our week off together on a Sunday morning, worshiping the Lord with gladness in our hearts. We are so very glad that you are worshiping with us here in the room. And as Michael said earlier, for those of you connecting with us online from all over the world, we know these last several weeks removed from Easter uh, now, these last few Sundays, God has just been bringing us new people every week and new to our online community as well. So welcome to all of you. And if this is maybe uh, your first few weeks with us here at Prestonwood, maybe you found us on Easter weekend and you've been coming now regularly. We're so glad that God's been bringing you here into this fellowship, this local body called Prestonwood. And we hope that as you journey with us in your faith that you find that this is a place full of people. We're imperfect, but we're on our way. And we're walking with Jesus by faith because we want to see his glory manifest in our city and in our day and to see the gospel go out from this place. So we're so glad that you could be worshiping with us today. We do send you greetings from our pastor. As many of you may have heard, he's preaching in his hometown of Conway, Arkansas today. So be praying for him as he's delivering the gospel. And if you had a chance to see it online, I was with him this week at Liberty University when he flipped the table and it was awesome. So if you haven't seen that online, he spoke at Liberty Convocation. It was amazing. And it was a great moment with about 10,000 college students in the room. And just so thankful for our pastor's faithfulness in preaching and his ministry. And so pray for him today. Pray for our North Campus, Preston Espanol. Here at Preston, when we believe in opening the word of God, teaching it authoritatively, and living out what it says. And that's what we're going to do today. So I want you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We're going to be talking this morning about what it means to have a desperate faith. A desperate faith. Messages on faith are, are, I think, always for me, not only in preaching, but just in my own walk with the Lord, always so powerful and impactful. For some reason in my life, this idea of faith and the faithfulness of God and walking by faith has just always been something in my Christian life that has just been a blessing for me to learn more and more about. You know, faith is a critical part of all of our days. Faith is something that all of us experience in and out of every day, whether you realize it or not. Whenever you go, say, for instance, to the grocery store, you are walking by faith that what you're buying is, well, you know, not going to kill you. Uh, whenever you go and you're navigating the traffic of North Dallas, if you're new here to the Texas area, one of the things we love is highways and traffic. It's, we love it. It's the best. And so you're trusting those traffic lights. I, I want to meet the guy that runs the traffic lights. I, I don't even know where he is, but I'm trusting that he's getting it right. You know, I think about all the debates in the culture now, climate change, such a significant debate in the culture. I always find it so interesting how much faith is involved in either end of the polarities of those arguments, right? Because if, if you are really, really immersed in the climate change uh, uh, doctrine and the ideology and frustrated about where things are going, it's very interesting because whenever you notice those people having that argument, they are in fact breathing the very air that they say is contaminated. I think that's so interesting by faith that they're doing that. And if you deny it, well, you're still breathing the same air as well. It's just an observation. Okay, don't email me about climate change stuff. I'm just saying 
There's a lot of faith in that conversation. I was on a couple of different plane rides this week, and you know, I was having faith that the pilot had good training and knew where he was going. On the way back to Dallas, the pilot got on the intercom and said, ladies and gentlemen, just want to let you know that there's a backup at Dallas-Fort Worth, so we're going to hang out here. How did he know that? Somebody told him. Somebody on the other side of the country is telling him we're in the air and we're flying, and we had to fly past Dallas-Fort Worth, praise God, and we got to circle the burgeoning metropolis of San Angelo. God bless you out there in San Angelo today. I don't know if it was San Angelo because I was 30,000 feet off the ground. I had faith that somebody was telling me that we were flying over that community and flying back, and I was having faith that that plane would get me from A to B and take off safely and land safely. Some of you are really super paranoid now as I talk about your grocery store and your car and your airplane. You're like, thank you, Pastor Jonathan. I'm now not going to buy any food, drive anywhere, or ever fly again. Praise God. Okay. But you think about it so much. If you, I mean, there's thousands of steps of faith in your life every day. Every day you're taking so much on faith. In John chapter 4, we meet... A dad. We meet a dad who was having a crisis of faith. He was desperate. He found himself in desperate, dire circumstances, and he believed that only an encounter with Jesus would solve the crisis at hand. I love this dad as I've been studying all week. Pastor Scott, who'll be preaching at the 11 o'clock hour, pray for Scott Turner and uh, we're so excited about this message today. We've been talking now for several days, praying together and thinking about this message. And I've just been studying and praying, and I've just been with this dad now for several days. And just sitting in the desperation that he finds himself and the faith that God wants to build in his life as a result of the circumstances in which he finds himself. This dad's going to teach us a lot today. He's going to teach us about faith. He's going to teach us that we can trust Jesus and we can take him at his word. So I want you to meet this dad first when we get into John's gospel in chapter 4. Now you may remember we're in a series right now, Tell Me the Story of Jesus, and almost a, a series within our series, The Seven Signs here in John's gospel. And, and we saw last week our pastor took us to the wedding at Cana as a powerful message. I'd encourage you to go back and watch it there in John chapter 2 in a Incredible miracle, the first miracle where Jesus takes the water into wine there at the wedding feast, showing his miraculous power, his faithfulness, and who he is. And coming out of that encounter now, John takes us later in John chapter 4 through Galilee, out of Jerusalem into Galilee. Jesus meets the famous encounter there of him and the Samaritan woman earlier in John's gospel in chapter 4. And now we meet this dad. And we find out what's going on in his life. The first thing I want you to see is that this is a desperate dad. This man finds himself in a desperate situation. The scripture says, beginning in verse 46 of John's gospel in chapter 4, so he, Jesus, came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. If just as a reminder, Jesus had been doing the miracles there in Judea, there in Jerusalem, and gone to Cana for that miracle, come back, and now he's back into the Galilean area. And word had spread of the miracles and the works and the wonders that Jesus had been doing. And so verse 46 says, Jesus is there back in Galilee, there in Cana, and at Capernaum, there was an official, some translations that you may have opened this morning say a, a nobleman, a royal official, whose son was ill. Now on the surface, you might not think that that's an altogether very desperate situation, but if we zoom in in just a moment, we'll see in verse 47 where John's gospel says that the man had heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, 
And he went to him and he asked him to come down and to heal his son. Why? Because his son was at the point of death. And the word there in the original language of the scripture there is literally he was on his way to dying. It's a very similar word in the Greek for drowning. It's a, it's an, a connotation, an implication of hopelessness and helplessness for this little boy. He is on his deathbed there in Capernaum. And this dad, this official, what we know of him, what we can infer based off how he's introduced to us is that he's a nobleman, almost certainly in the court of King Herod Antipas there, who is the tetrarch of the area of Judea there. He's a, a proxy ruler of Rome. He's hated and despised by his Jewish neighbors. He's a a very pagan, very carnal man. You can go into the stories and learn more about the evil of his heart and what he does and the corruptness within his ruling authority. And this man, what we know about this dad is that he's an official, he's a nobleman, almost certainly in the court of Herod Antipas. And his name, that nobleman name, is literally the name for king or king's man. So what we know about this dad is that he's a high-ranking official, almost certainly, in the court of Herod Antipas, which means he's a man that has access to resources. He's a man that has influence. He's a man that when you say, I need something done, it gets done. He's a man where people bring problems to him so that he can solve the problems for them. And this dad, this man, this man of resource and influence and authority has a crisis that he can't solve. His son is dying. And there in Capernaum, he leaves his little boy on his deathbed to come to find Jesus in Cana. Can't imagine the helplessness. I'm a dad of five kids. I've tried to put myself in this guy's shoes. I've tried to put myself in this story of how this dad must have felt. The sleepless nights, the anger, the questions, the bitterness. The, the circular, endless carousel conversations with his bride, with his, with his family, with his friends, with his neighbors. I don't know how many people he'd already called. I don't know how many favors he had already tried to call in. I don't know how many doctors he had been to. I don't know how many prognosis and diagnosis he'd received. I don't know how many times he'd been told there's no hope. I don't know how many times he had to look in the eyes of his son and wonder why. The breath was leaving his body slowly. Verse 52 later will tell us that the son had a fever the word literally there is the Greek word pyros. It means fire. His body was on fire. I want you, I just want to try to help you understand how desperate this situation is. This man's watching his little boy's body burn before him. And although he's got authority and he's got resource and he's got means to fix other things and create influence in situations and move circumstances, he has the, the fiat of the king in his own house where he cares the most and where he lives the most and loves the most. He's powerless completely immobilized, totally locked up, and no way to solve the crisis in his little boy's life. This dad's telling us something. His life is teaching us something. His desperation is showing us something. And I believe it's this, that Jesus invites us to come to him in our most desperate moments. Amen. Verse 46 and 47 says that he his son is ill, and so Jesus goes, he goes to find this man, verse 47. He heard that Jesus was there in Galilee, the miracle worker, the wonder worker, the water to wine teacher. You mean he's in our neighborhood? He's in my zip code? I can get to him? I could leave my house and 
some 20 miles away from Capernaum to Cana, I could get to Jesus. I'm gone, I'm going. I'm gonna get to Jesus. And what I love is that the man, when he gets to Jesus, he's not pushed away. I want you to know this morning, whether you've been walking with the Lord for 10 years, 50 years, or 10 minutes, Jesus welcomes you in your most desperate moments. There's a bad teaching out there that says you gotta have it all together. You gotta have your life all figured out. There's a bad idea out there that says that here in church, yes, even in this amazing church called Prestonwood, everybody in all these pews from right here in the front row to all the way in the back of the balcony, all of us in here that are followers of Jesus, we've just got it all together. And I want to just unravel that for you this morning. If by chance you're here and you're new to a walk with Christ or you're even maybe thinking about what it may mean to follow Jesus, maybe you came on the invitation of a friend and you think, man, if I come to church, i got to get it together before I walk in the door because otherwise those people will fall out, find out that I'm messed up. And what we just want to all say to you today is, man, look, we were all once messed up, broken, broken hurting in our sin. We were on our spiritual deathbed. And we came to Jesus. Things were desperate. And we came to Jesus. Maybe things are desperate for you today. Then it's time to get to Jesus. It's time to come to Jesus. This dad shows us that when things have all gone wrong, you can still get to Jesus. And by the way, we don't want to turn to things that will fail. We don't want to turn to things that will let us down. We don't want to turn to things that are broken and have no power to save. No, we want to get to Jesus. We see the earliest seeds of faith in this man's life, of his belief. Somewhere, somehow, he had decided and discovered that getting to Jesus could just be a way that his son might live. So in belief, in faith, he gets to Jesus. So we see this desperate dad makes a determined Requests. Look at verse 48. 47 says that he comes to Jesus and he asks him to heal his son. We'll read verse 48 in just a moment because I want you to see three things here in verse 47. He had heard about Jesus, so he went to find him. And by the way, we said earlier that Capernaum is a good 20 or so miles from Cana, at least, at least a day's walk if you've got really good shoes, all right? If you've got like a good pair of of uh, on clouds or something like that, you probably pull it off in 20 miles, okay? You can, you can do it. Now, this man's a nobleman, so perhaps he comes with an entourage, maybe on chariots, maybe with horses. This will matter for us in just a moment, by the way. Maybe his travel time is only five to six hours, scholars tell us. But regardless, he goes down from Capernaum to get up to Cana. There's almost a spiritual metaphor here because you may not know, but Capernaum lies some 700 feet below sea level. Literally, this guy, has got to go from the depths of despair, not only geographically, but spiritually. He's got to go from the very bottom, below sea level of life to get up to where Jesus is. And he goes and he finds Jesus. He'd heard about him. He'd heard about the miracles and the signs and the wonders. He went to where Jesus was. And when he gets there, he asks Jesus to do something he thinks that only Jesus can do. And unapologetically, he says, will you heal my son? Now, you and I might read that, read that off the page and say, well, that seems like a pretty casual way of asking it. But if you go into the language, the original language of the scripture, it's literally that word ask right there in verse 47, to heal him is literally the word for beg. 
It means, Jesus, I'm begging you, I'm imploring you, I'll do anything. Jesus, please, please, please heal my son. It's a persistent insistence to Jesus. And by the way, I don't know what kind of crowds he had to navigate to get to Jesus. I don't know what kind of malaise he had to work through. I don't know if you know this, but in the first century, there are no cell phones. It's not like he can text Peter and be like, what street are y'all on? Hey, I saw Jesus on Facebook. He's making it happen at Cana. Can I show up? He finds him. Listen to me. When you're desperate and you're broken and you're hurting, if you're looking for Jesus, you will find him. He's not hiding. He's not distant. He's not far removed. He's right in the middle of this guy's mess. And this man finds him. He gets to him. And when he gets to Jesus, he does what every single one of us, especially the parents in this room, every single one of us, there are no pleasantries. I love the honesty of the text here. There's no pleasantries. There's no, hi, Jesus, my name is so-and-so, and I work in the court of, he gets to Jesus and said, Jesus, my kid's dying. I need you to heal him. Don't judge this guy because we'd be doing the same thing. You and I would be doing, moms and dads out there, grandparents out there, we'd be doing the same thing. My son's 20 miles away. I packed up and left my wife, my kids, my family, all of it to come find you. Jesus, we're lost, we're broken, we're desperate. Heal my son. Please heal my son. Jesus, would you heal my son? Jesus, hey, Jesus, don't leave. I need you to heal my son. Jesus, can you hear me? Heal my son. That's what the original word in the original language means there. It's a begging. It's an imploring. It's a, I'm not letting you go, Jesus, until you hear my prayer. And I don't know, some of us, it's been a while since we prayed that way. It's been a bit since some of us have just said, Jesus, listen, here's the deal. I got some stuff in my life, and it's real, and it's hurting, and I need you to hear me. I kind of like this way to pray. I don't know that this is a bad way to pray, and I don't know that we need to be so quick to judge this man because in his desperation, he wants what all of us would want. He wants a miracle. Let's not be too harsh on this dad. Let's look past all the formality and the falsehood and the pretense, and let's just get to the core of the issue. I love what theologian A.W. Pink said, it is well when trouble leads a man to God instead of away from God. Affliction is one of God's medicines. I think this man is living this in real time and not only does his desperation and his directness and his determined request to Jesus show us a little about who we are, it shows us a lot about who Jesus is because not only is Jesus inviting you in your most desperate moments to come to him. But listen, when you find him, he wants to reveal to you and to me that he is faithful. When we get to Jesus in those desperate moments, it's not like he's gonna hear and walk away. No, he hears and he wants us to know. He wants you to know today that he is faithful in those moments. He doesn't send the man away. He doesn't dismiss him. He doesn't write him off. He wants to see in real time the man's belief, and he wants to show the man how faithful he can be to him. Now, not only do we see this desperate dad making a determined request, but then we get a direction from Jesus. And I want you to see this beginning in verse 48. It's a very interesting way that Jesus responds, but don't give up on Jesus here. Don't, don't get upset on how Jesus responds because he's taking us somewhere and he's teaching us something. So look at the direction from Jesus beginning in verse 48. So the man comes to him, says, please heal my son. And so Jesus says to him, 
Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, hang on, Jesus. We just got finished saying this guy's hurting. His son is dying. He made a, a significant trek to get to where you are, and he's coming by faith, and, and you meet him with a rebuke? I can hear the skeptics out there a little bit. Maybe the cynics saying, aha, yeah, saw it coming all along. You had us on the hook with this whole Jesus once moment, desperate moment. And then you read the verse where it turns out Jesus writes him off. I knew it. I knew it. But wait a minute. What is Jesus saying here? You see, the you there in verse 48 is not just directed at this guy. In the original language of the text, the you there is plural. This guy is not the only audience that's listening to Jesus in this moment. There's almost certainly a crowd with Jesus, particularly in the early days of his ministry, because he's doing stuff nobody's ever seen or heard before. And the you here being plural is both for this guy and for that crowd, and listen, for us today. Because what Jesus is rebuking here is not the man's faith. Far more than that. What Jesus is rebuking are the miracle addicts in the crowd. The people who need constant spectacular proof to show, to prove that Jesus is who he says he is. In John's gospel in chapter 2, Jesus references this. John tells us that after Jesus had performed that wedding in Cana, which we learned about last Sunday, the people were gathering and there was so much excitement and enthusiasm. But John gives us this sobering word in John chapter 2, verse 23. Here's what the scripture says. Now, when Jesus, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, watch this, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. That's what we call in seminary an ouch passage, okay? Because what the scripture is saying to us right there is Jesus knew the hearts of the people, and he understood, and this is true even today, friends, he understood that there are still many people that the only time they get excited about the things of God is when they see or they sense that some sort of sign or wonder is taking place. In fact, when Jesus says in verse 48, unless you guys see the signs and wonders, that is the only time in the New Testament where those two words occur like that in that way. What is Jesus trying to teach us in that moment? What's he trying to teach this guy in that moment? He's saying, Dad, I see your desperation. I see your need. I see your hurt. But listen to me. Are you coming to me just because you want the miracle? Or are you coming because you want to meet the master? You see, before we ever, I heard, I love how one preacher said it, before we ever come to receive the work of Jesus, we need to come and rest in the word of Jesus. There are people even to this day who only ever get excited when they hear about a miracle. They only ever get fired up for church and following Jesus when the spiritual tides are riding high. But the moments that things get desperate, the moment that somebody gets sick or loses a job or our marriage starts to go a little south or our kids get frustrated or the money isn't what it used to be or the business starts to failing, then all of a sudden Jesus isn't Jesus anymore because I haven't had a sign or a wonder in a while. Jesus is saying, I'm not looking for spectators who need proof all the time. Look at me. I'm looking for people who will believe me by faith. Before I ever do the miracle, will you believe me by faith, desperate dad? Will you take me at my word? Will you trust me for who I am before you believe me for what I have done? 
And so this is not a rebuke to this precious dad. It's a blessing and an encouragement because Jesus is trying to do what he's trying to do for us today. And that's elevate our faith in him. I love how Oswald Chambers said it. Faith for my deliverance is not faith in God. Faith means whether I am visibly delivered or not, I will stick to my belief that God is love. Watch this. There are some things only learned in a fiery furnace. Friends, I would love to tell you that the Christian life is just a series of Nothing but ups, nothing but blessings, nothing but good, nothing but riches, nothing but influence and fame and notoriety, nothing but, but tranquility and happiness where there's no loss, there's no fallout, there's no devastation in your life, where nothing ever goes wrong, where everything always goes right. I would love to tell you that the Christian life is just a series of happy-go-long, everything's great, I never have a problem, happy in Jesus, here we go, and that's every day of my life until finally heaven is just sort of a foregone conclusion of just a life that's been problem-free. I'd love to tell you that that's the Christian life. And if you're someone that's here today and you are thinking about what it means to follow Jesus and you've seen and heard some people that have given you disjointed testimonies about what the Christian life is all about. Maybe you've even heard some, some bad preaching that says that that's all Christianity ever is or all Christianity, Christianity ever is is sorrow and despair and loss. No, I, I don't think that's what the gospel has for us this morning. I think what Jesus wants to understand is that it's not about the Christian life being about all those things. It's about are you at peace with the master and the creator of the universe? Do you have a faith relationship with him? Have you come to trust Jesus? That's what this man needed. You say, no, 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 he needed a miracle for his son. Yes, that was his plan. That was his need. That was the desperation that he found himself in. But what this man needed more than anything, was to be saved and to know Jesus. Listen, if you're here within the sound of my voice today or watching us online, I want you to know that no matter what your problem, no matter what your struggle, no matter your crisis, no matter your desperation, significant though it may be, and I know for a fact, as pastors, we pray every day, every week, with people in our church and in our community who are hurting, who are literally dying of disease. I have friends right now on my mind, in my heart, Men and women of faith that love Jesus, they are stricken right now with a physical malady, disease of some kind that is robbing them of their life and could take their life. I understand all that. And hear me when I say there are real social problems we got to solve. There are real health crises that you ought to pray about. There are real breakdowns in our lives that we ought to bring to Jesus. But listen to me. If you do all of that and you've built your faith only on if God ever shows up for that, then you've missed the message of the gospel. Friends, the message of the gospel first is that you would receive the grace of Jesus by faith, that he would come to live in your life and be your Lord and be your Savior. And then whatever else happens, as my grandma used to say, is just gospel gravy. <laughs> See, a lot of us just want the gravy. We want the miracle. We want the sign. We want the wonder. Then I'll believe. Church family, can I say to you today, we have, the, we have the benefit and the blessing of being on the other side of the story of the cross. Friends, the miracle has happened. Jesus is alive. He's been resurrected. Sin and death have been conquered. They now have no authority and no place in the life of the believer. And so the first miracle, the primary miracle, the most significant 
miracle that this desperate dad needed and maybe you need today is to know Jesus and to take him at his word. we got to keep going in this passage, though, because something happens to this man that sparks this moment. Jesus obviously redirects him here and gives him the response that he needs. And I love this dad in verse 49. He doesn't run from that moment. Listen, don't run from a rebuke from Jesus. Listen, when the Spirit of God is trying to teach you something, don't become angry and bitter. Don't push back when the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes into your life. Don't get upset at God when he begins to reveal things in you that need to draw you into a deeper faith with him. I love this dad so much. Look at verse 49. Jesus gives this loving redirection for him and the rebuke for others. Don't be addicted to the miracle. Be in love with me. And the official doesn't leave. He doesn't get discouraged because Jesus doesn't address his primary need in his mind. He says in verse 49 to him with, I believe, tenderness and respect and humility And in the earliest moments of faith in his life, he says to him in verse 49, Sir, sir, come down before my child dies. Literally, if you were to read it out of the Greek, it would say something like this. Jesus, come now and save my little boy. He uses a different word to describe his son here than in verse 47. He was a son earlier, now he's a little boy. Do you hear it in his voice? Can you go there? Can you be on that dusty road in Cana for just a moment? Can you see the crowd surrounding Jesus, the disciples that are there? Can you get in the shoes of this man right here? And can you see what's happening? He's stepping into a moment in a space of faith with Jesus. And he's saying, Jesus, I hear you. I understand what you're telling me. And so, Jesus, I'm coming to you. Sir, sir, this is a nobleman. This is the king's man. People call him sir. In humility, this man's before Jesus. Sir, will you come down and save my little boy? This dad assumed that Jesus could do it. He believed that Jesus could do it. Now look at verse 50. I love this. Jesus said to him, go and your son will live. That's a promise. According to John chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 1, that is the triune God in the flesh, creator of the universe, maker of heaven and earth, Lord of all things. By him all things were made through him. Without him nothing was made for him. All was made for his glory. Ephesians tells us, John 1 tells us, he is the author of life. He is God incarnate, the word become flesh. That living word right there says to the man, before I say heal, I say go. I want you to go in faith. This is the Lord of all the universe saying to this desperate dad, you go and here's my promise, your son will live. Don't you think that when Jesus says something will be, that by faith it will be. Don't you know that when Jesus says I'm going to do this thing, it is already done. And this is the kind of faith that we got to walk in in 2023. So much skepticism, friends. So much doubt and disbelief in our world. So many reasons, students, for you to walk the hallways of your high school, to compete on the teams that you find yourself, to be in the social spaces and places that you are. There's so many opportunities for people to try to erode and demythologize, and yes, I'm going to use this word, deconstruct your faith. 
to come at you in a way that maybe no generation church has ever been attacked before. I hope moms and dads, I hope grandparents, coaches, teachers, leaders, influencers, I hope you're praying for our teenagers. I see them here and all over the room. My kids are here today. I hope you're praying for our students, friends, because faith is under attack. But young people, young adults, students, college students, listen to me. Just because the world wants to come in and attack Jesus, just because the world wants to come at your Jesus, doesn't mean that they're ever going to have victory. It doesn't mean that anything that anybody ever says against Jesus can ever be true. Because when Jesus says, this will be, you can trust by faith that it is done. On the cross, when Jesus said, it is finished, he's talking about you, and he's talking about me, and he's talking about sin, and he's talking about death. It's done, and you can trust it. And I just want to say to teenagers in this room, to preteen students in this room, you can trust Jesus, and you can walk with him for the rest of your life. You can take him at his word. And he will never let you down. This church is filled with people who've been walking with Jesus for decade upon decade upon decade. And they would all tell you the same thing. That it's worth it. That following Jesus day after day, month after month, year after year, it only gets sweeter. It only gets richer. It only gets more true. You can trust Jesus to keep his word. I love how the NIV puts it. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. That's the kind of Christian, I don't know about you this morning, but that's the kind of Christian that I want to be. I want to be a man of God that takes Jesus at his word and then goes. And he goes with peace. Jesus flips the whole moment here. This man had been saying, Jesus, please come down. Please come down. Please come down. Jesus says, hey, man, I got news for you. Because of my authority and my power and who I am, I don't need to go down to where the problem is. You need to come up to me. I don't, listen, there's no amount of distance that's going to prevent me from doing a miracle. It doesn't matter if your son's in Capernaum or wherever he may be. There, no 20 miles is going to keep my healing power from moving onto his body and into his life and rescuing him from that deathbed. Right now, I can do it. And I will do it by faith. And the man leaves Jesus, taking him at his word, and goes home. I, I love how the Phillips translation says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. This is, this is a description, a biblical description of what this man is experiencing in real time. The scripture says, now faith means that we have full confidence in the things we hope for. It means being certain of things we cannot see. Friends, this man took Jesus at his word, and he left. And I think that when he left, he left with Jesus all the anxiety, all the problems, all the despair. I think that this man in that moment, when Jesus said, go, your son will live, I believe that that man took him at his word and believed it by faith, and I think that he exchanged his desperation for deliverance. And that's what we see as our final point. This man, after having received the direction from Jesus, now he finds deliverance for his household. Look at verse 51. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. Now hang on, get there in the moment. We gotta see this now. So the man's with Jesus. Jesus says, all right, go, your son's gonna be healed. The man goes and on his way down, he runs into his servants. And the servants have left home to come up and find him. 
Because this dad had gone in person to be with Jesus, the servants come to meet the man. And then verse 52 says this. I love this. So the dad, this formerly desperate, now delivered dad, asks them, what was the hour when he began to get better? And here's what they said to him. This is crazy. Get ready. All right. Some of y'all, you don't read the Bible very often. You wonder, like, does the Bible have cool stories and cool stuff? Here it is. All right. If you were waiting for the moment, this is it. This is the moment right here. Verse 52. He asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Now you and I hear seventh hour and we're like, wow, Jonathan, that was a real drop off. You had like a cliffhanger hanging for us there. And like, what's the seventh hour? What are you talking about? If we go by the Jewish calendar, and I think that's what John's using here. If we go by the Jewish timekeeping system, it's 1 p.m. Now watch this. Verse 53 says this. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. What does this mean? It means that this guy receives the word from Jesus as he's on the road. He got the word yesterday. Now, it's interesting, it's worth noting here, by the way, that some scholars kind of tease this guy a little bit because in other words, what we're seeing here is that the moment Jesus spoke, verse 50, the little boy was healed. Didn't wait till dad got home. Didn't wait till he got back. Didn't wait till he checked his phone to see if anybody left him a message. The moment Jesus spoke it, the guy was healed. Now, some scholars say that this guy went off into the market and did some business because he believed Jesus so strongly. Some, guy, some scholars say that he was so exhausted that he just collapses and sleeps and wakes up. I don't know about you in my house, but uh, if my son was miraculously healed, I promise you my phone would be blowing up. I'm not so sure I'd be running to the grocery store before I get home to check on my little boy. But that's what the scripture says. And the man knew, he believed by faith that the moment that Jesus said it, it was finished and it was done. The miracle took place the moment it left the master's mouth. And Jesus spoke the word and the little boy, the fire in his body, the fever, verse 52, it says, began to leave him. His son was well. You know what I love about this dad? According to verse 52, this dad doesn't ask how it happened. This dad doesn't ask who did it. All this dad wants to know is when. Hear me on this church. When you walk with Jesus and you believe him by faith, it's not going to be a matter of how it happens. And it's never going to be a question of who did it. The only thing that we ever get to ponder is when it will happen. And if by faith God says, for whatever reason, I'm going to leave you in this fiery furnace and you've got to go through this thing, maybe even it takes your life. We know, according to John chapter 14, that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us that where he is, we may be also. We have a promise of a peaceful place forever for God's people. Listen, heaven is the fullest manifestation of the promise of the faithfulness of God. So even if by walking by faith, you lose your life, you still have the hope of heaven. It's evidence, it's proof that Jesus is faithful with us all the way. This man's not worried anymore about what happened. He's not worried anymore about who did it. He's not anxious in his spirit and desperate in his soul to find out what happened. He knows when Jesus spoke it, it was done. The only thing he wanted to know was when did it happen? And the servants say, you know, it's interesting that you ask. The moment that you were standing with Jesus, that's when it happened. Listen to me. 
When you trust Jesus by faith to be your Lord and to be your Savior, I believe the Bible says that in that moment, you are saved. That nothing from that moment to forever can take you from the hand of God. That's the faithfulness of Jesus, and that's why you can trust him and take him at his word. And that's why, friends, verse 53 tells us that the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. You know why? Because the fire that burned in that boy's body physically had now become a fire of faith that was burning in this dad's heart. And this dad goes home, and can you imagine the celebration, the joy, the jubilation of coming home, and his little boy that he had left there on his deathbed now is sitting up and playing and talking and laughing, and dad, you'll never believe it. Look what, I'm alive. And he'll say, no, no, son, I do believe it, because I met Jesus. And the moment that I met Jesus, my life changed, and guess what? According to verse 52, so did yours at one o'clock in the afternoon. And now all of our lives are changed, and this house is going to become a believing house, and this marriage is going to become a believing marriage and my business life and my authority that I have in the king's court that's going to be becoming a Jesus ministry now and our finances belong to Jesus and all these people that work for me they're now a part of Jesus listen all the household became a follower of Jesus and Jesus didn't just save this little boy there's two miracles in this story now Jesus didn't just save this little boy he saved a whole family dads don't tell me that your faith doesn't matter Dads, don't tell me that your influence and your walk with Christ doesn't matter. Dads, don't tell me that God can make a difference through your influence when you walk by faith. Granddads in this room, don't tell me that your faith doesn't matter. Man, when one man meets Jesus, a whole family can get saved. I know students that have come to faith in Christ at Freedom or at camp or on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning, they go home and they share Christ with their parents. Man, listen, when the faith of the gospel gets a hold of one life, that fire can burn and spread throughout a whole family, throughout a whole city, throughout a whole nation, and it's spreading all around the world 2,000 years later. You better believe, not only is the fever gone out of that little boy, but the fires of faith are burning like never before in 2023. Don't let anybody tell you that the fires of the gospel have gone out. Now, here's the question as we close. The lesson of this story the faith of this desperate dad tells us something about ourselves. And it begs a question from you and from me this morning. How desperate am I for Jesus? With every head bowed in this room, every eye closed, we want to move into a time of response. We do this every time we gather here at Prestonwood. We always end our services in the proclamation of the gospel with an opportunity for you and for I to respond to what Jesus is teaching us in our lives. What is God saying? What is God doing? How is he moving? And the question that we need to wrestle with first and foremost is, am I desperate for Jesus? And for some in this room, here's what that looks like. It means that you're in a place in your life when you need the deliverance of Jesus. Because the reality is you've been striving and you've been straining and you've been struggling to live life on your own terms. You're like this dad, you're desperate. You've come to a place of, Complete and total loss, frustration in your life. You're burned out, you're fatigued, you're tired. You're overwhelmed, you're confused, you're hopeless. The Bible says you're lost. But this morning, by faith, you can be found. 
Because Jesus came and did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. The Bible says while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you. He died so that you might be delivered from the desperate situation of your sin. I don't want to make any kind of rose-colored painting about it for you. In our sin, we are separated from God. Not because God hates us or because he's angry, but because there is no sin in the holy God. But the Bible says God made a way for us to be right with him. And that if we would trust Jesus and take him at his word, the scripture says that we can be saved and delivered today. All throughout this room, heads are bowed right now, eyes are closed. No one's leaving, no one's stirring, no one's being a distraction. Christians are praying right now. And I just want to say as we begin our time of response, if there's someone here today, no one looking around, no one's trying to embarrass you, but if there's someone here today that would just slip up their hand in the air and say, Pastor Jonathan, I need you to pray for me. I'm desperate today. Is there anybody today that would just slip their hand up in the quietness of this moment? I see you. Say, I'm I'm desperate today. Will you pray for me? Someone else. Someone else who would say, I see you. God bless you. Someone else in the terrace, in the balcony. I see you all the way to the back of the room. Pray for me. I'm hurting. Pray for me. I need Jesus. I'm desperate in my life today. See others that are raising their hand. I see you, sir, in the terrace. I want to have an opportunity to pray for you. And when I pray, we're going to stand and we're going to sing, and that's going to be your time. That's going to be your moment. That's going to be your faith moment. Maybe today's the day you need to come down this aisle and you need to say, you know what? No more running. I need to be saved today. I need to become a follower of Jesus. Others of you might say, hey, you know, we're new here to this area and we, we don't have a church home. We don't have a place where we can plant our lives and walk faithfully with the Lord. Maybe today's that day. And then we just want to say this to you as well. This has been on our heart all week. Friends, there may be those in this room today who would say, I am struggling with a major health crisis. I am struggling with a major marital crisis. I am struggling with a major financial crisis. I've got pain in my life. I've got issues in my heart. I've got got kids that are far from God. I've got prodigals in my family that are distant in their faith. And I just want to challenge some folks this morning. Maybe today is a day where you need to step out of that pew. Maybe it's been a while since you've prayed the way this desperate dad did. And maybe this morning, this altar, these steps need to become a place for prayer. Husbands, you need to grab the hand of a wife and say, let's go. We need to intercede for our family, for our marriage. Grandparents, you need to come down here to these steps and just say, Lord, I need you to move mightily and powerfully in our life today, in our family, in our home. You may be praying for a medical miracle. We're gonna pray with you. Pastors of our church will be lined here in the front. We're not afraid to pray faith-filled prayers today with you. So whatever the Lord may be doing in your life, we're gonna ask that you respond by faith today. We'll wait. We've got nowhere else to be but this moment and this place. So Jesus, I just wanna pray for every hand that went up a moment ago. And for those that maybe didn't lift a hand, but their hearts are heavy, desperate today for you. Jesus, move in this place. Father, draw us to yourself. I pray that there be one today, God, just even one, who would cross from death to life and salvation. Lord, that we use this time to worship you and to meet with you, and to get right with you, God. And so, Lord, we love you. We offer this time of invitation and response to you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, move mightily in this place, and we pray it in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for worship at Prestonwood. 
As you heard earlier, if you made a decision for Christ, please text Jesus to 74788. We would love to connect with you and give you these great resources to help you grow in your faith. One is a New Believer's Bible with helpful notes to help you study God's Word. The other is a book by Pastor Jack Graham on the next steps to take as you pursue this new life in Christ. As we close, I'd like to thank you for your faithful giving to support Prestonwood and the work God is doing through our ministries. If you would like to give, text the word GIVE to 74788 or visit prestonwood.org give. It's been a joy worshiping with you, and we look forward to seeing you again soon.